Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had thrown. Thanks, David, and good morning, everyone. My name is Carl. I'm the pastor of the church here, Trinity Church Unley. I've been away for the past couple of weeks. Um, if you've been here with us in the last two weeks and we haven't met, I'd love to say hello to you before you leave today. And I want to say a very big thank you to those who stepped up and helped while Meredith and I were away. A special thanks to Naveen. Many of you will know this, but Naveen works in a full-time role and Naveen took on the extra responsibilities of preparing a talk for us a couple of weeks ago. Naveen, thank you for your hard work and your faithfulness in doing that. And Mike, many of you will know as well, Mike's not here today, he's on holidays this week himself, but Mike also managed to prepare a talk and run the church office and do a kid's talk and put the bins out and all that kind of stuff. I'm really thankful to Mike and to Naveen. And I'm glad to be back. If nothing else, it seems like you're doing pretty well without a senior pastor. So I'm glad just to be back to cover that, make sure that there's no uh, kind of ideas that you don't really need me. (laughs) I hope you're finding this little series, looking at the book of Jonah, to be a useful time together. It's a great summer series, I think, four weeks looking at this story. And Naveen pointed out to us that lots and lots of people know the story of Jonah. Even those people who don't go to church very often or who don't read their Bibles very often probably know the story about this man who ran away from God and who ended up in the belly of a fish. It's a great story, isn't it? Favourite in kids' church, a favourite in kids' Bibles. But I think there's a bit of a problem with the story of Jonah. Here's what I think the problem is. I think the plot can be so captivating that I think it kind of almost overruns or overshadows the meaning of the story. We get so caught up in this idea of a man being swallowed by a fish that we might kind of miss the meaning of the story altogether. So this morning, I want to make it crystal clear to you what I think Jonah, and particularly what I think chapter 3 of Jonah is about, indeed the whole of Jonah. I think it's a book and a message 
that tells us God wants our hearts. Let me say it again. The story of Jonah helps us to see that God wants our hearts. That God wants us to turn back to him. The story of Jonah is a story written to us today, those of us who are alive in 2020, to know without a doubt that God is a compassionate and merciful God, but also that God is a God who will judge. And the story of Jonah instructs us and urges us, stop rejecting God. Stop living in a way that disregards God and instead turn back to him. And do that because God wants our hearts. He wants our lives. He wants our attitudes and our behaviours. God wants all of us. He wants us to repent. If you want one word that sums up chapter 3 of Jonah, I think it's this, repent. That is, stop what you're doing and turn back to God. And most of you know that I've been away for a couple of weeks on holidays and part of that time was spent with my brother-in-law, Doug. One day we were just at the park, pushing our kids on the swing, you know, shooting the breeze as you do, having those conversations with your brother-in-law. And then Doug asked me this question. He says, and I almost word for word, what do you know about the precursors to the Great Awakening? It's not your average swing-pushing conversation, is it? But Doug is not that sort of a guy. His mind is always buzzing And at the time, like I knew what the Great Awakening was, I'd been to Bible college, I studied all that sort of stuff, but I couldn't quite recall it at the top of my head. But that question, what are the precursors to the Great Awakening? That's been rattling around in my mind ever since. I'm not sure I'm thankful to my brother-in-law or not for that. But let me just paint the picture for you a little bit. I want you to step back almost 280 years ago. Not in Australia, you're in the US and life is not that easy at that time. You had to work hard for what you had. Typically, your body wore out a bit earlier than it does today. Sickness was a problem for lots of people. Infant mortality rates were high. Children often were not given names until they got to two years old and said they were just called something like the little visitor or the little angel. Church membership at the time, 280 years ago, was on the decline. And part of that was due to the emerging Enlightenment movement. It was having an impact on the way that people thought. Many had turned away from religion and away from God. And it seemed as though the church was losing touch with regular everyday people. It's into this world that Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You might have heard of that sermon before. It's one of the most famous ever preached. I've got a picture or engraving of Jonathan Edwards on the screen before, before you. Jonathan Edwards was a quietly spoken man. He wasn't kind of that picture that you might have of an American evangelistic preacher that you might see on TV today. He did sport a pretty impressive wig, though, as you can see from the engraving. But his sermon that he preached, quietly as he said it, it just worked in that church. There was yelling and groaning and crying from the people as they saw their sinfulness and their need to repent One commentator writing about the time said that people were dropping to the floor. Such was the devastation that they saw and their need to repent. And this is not exactly the start, but this kind of gives you a picture of what the Great Awakening was like. It was a time of terrific revival and mass repentance of people. 
preachers at this time, they went outside to preach and they were preaching to 10,000 people at a time sometimes. Can you imagine that? See, some of you may have read the story of Jonah and thought, oh, this is just a story of fantasy. After all, it does involve a fish swallowing a man and then three days later spitting him back out onto a beach. But in one sense, I don't think the fish is the most fantastic part of the story. As I read it, what seems more fantastic is that Nineveh responded to Jonah's message. And yet mass repentance and mass revivals, they have happened a number of times throughout history. It happened in the Great Awakening less than 300 years ago. What I want you to see today, though, is that Jonah, like Jonathan Edwards and like the other great preachers of the Great Awakening, George Whitfield and John Wesley, they preach repentance. They ask people to turn back to God. That's what I want to focus on this morning. Let me ask you right now, do you need to repent? Is there any way this morning in which you need to turn back to God? Well, let's take a look at the text of uh, this passage together this morning. I want to read to you just from the very start of the chapter. If you haven't got your Bibles open, I'd love you to turn open your Bibles to Jonah. I want to read the first three verses of chapter 3 to you. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. So here we have Jonah being given a second chance by God. See, back in chapter 1, if you remember, in verse 2, God had said a very similar thing to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And back then in chapter 1, Jonah does the opposite. He runs as far away from Nineveh as he can. And now, in chapter 3, he's given a second chance. It's not often that we get second chances in life, is it? Often if you make a a big mistake in your career, that's it. Career's over. But here we have God being given a second chance. Or Jonah, sorry, being given a second chance by God. God's heart... God's compassion is open for us to see here, isn't it? I think it's a bit of a precursor of what's to come as the book goes on. And this time, you'll note, Jonah does what he should have done all along. He obeys the word of God and he goes to Nineveh. And he goes not even knowing kind of what he is to say when he gets there. Of course, he probably has an inkling of what he will be saying when he gets there. But he goes not yet knowing exactly what to say. And he goes to this city of Nineveh. I think over the last couple of weeks you've had explained to you a little bit about what the city of Nineveh is like, but I just want to remind you, firstly, it's an Assyrian city. It is, therefore, a city of the enemies of Israel. And it's a city known for its violence, particularly, and its cruelty. Particularly its violence and its cruelty towards its enemies. Some of the things I read this week in commentaries about the way in which Nineveh behaved towards its enemies would make your hair curl. So these are people that Jonah wants punished. These are the sort of people that we would want to experience God's justice. And so for Jonah, going to Nineveh, is, it's no trip to Disneyland. It's not a holiday. He's going into enemy territory. 
And the city itself, it's a big city. We learn that in chapter 4, that there are more than 120,000 people in it. In verse 3, we learn that it takes three days to go through the city. What exactly that means, I'm not quite sure. Probably not three days walking from one end to another, but maybe three days looking at the different parts of the city. What's clear is that this is a big city with lots of people in it. And Jonah goes and begins his work as a preacher and prophet in verse 4. He travels a day's journey into the city and he proclaims this. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's a message of destruction, isn't it? And devastation. It's a message of doom. But you know what? I reckon Jonah would have been delighted in the telling of it. Nineveh, you're about to get what's always been coming to you. Justice is coming. You might be wondering if this is all that Jonah said. He'd travel all this way just to speak eight words. Perhaps, we don't know. Perhaps he said more and it's just not recorded for us. Maybe this isn't his exact sermon that he preached. Maybe it's been truncated. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Because these eight words represent exactly what God wants Nineveh to know. And as much as Jonah probably delighted in the telling of this message, for Nineveh, it's a terrible message. It's that message that you kind of get in those movies where the asteroid's going to hit the world. In a short time, you are doomed. It's an end-of-the-road message for Nineveh. Can you see that it's also just slightly tinged with hope? While we were away, I did the clothes washing one day and I made the mistake of allowing one pair of new dark blue shorts to get into the washing and everything came out just tinged with grey, just slightly, but enough to notice. And here in Jonah's words, do you see just the tinge of hope? It's only slight, but I think it's enough to notice. Doom is coming, but it's coming in 40 days. That's soon, just over a month, but it's not tomorrow. I think that leaves just enough room for hope in this message. Have a look at the way that Nineveh responds. I think this is a critical part of the story of Jonah. Remember who they are? A city of people who are known throughout the world for their evil and violent ways. And what do they do when they hear Jonah's message? Have a look with me at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now in this story, I reckon this is the bit that just smacks you between the eyes. They did what? These people, these enemies? They believed God. They listened. That's extraordinary, I think. The Ninevites, the enemies of Israel, they believed Israel's God. I think this is more surprising than Jonah being swallowed by a fish and vomited up. I think this is the real surprise in the story. I wonder if you can see what the author of the story is doing here. Painting a contrast, I think. Similar to the contrast we saw in chapter 1. There, Jonah, an Israelite, running from God... And the contrast is with the pagan sailors who rouse him from his sleep and plead with him to turn to his God in prayer. And here in chapter 3, we have Israel's enemies listening to God and responding to God. And it begs the question, doesn't it, for Israel, will Israel listen to God? Will we listen? 
Will we turn to God? And it's not just the people in the story either, is it? The king responds. Let me read on in verse 6. When, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Not just the people, the king responds to Jonah's message. The king believes God. From the greatest to the lowest, they all respond. And the king gets up from his throne. He, he dethrones himself, essentially. He takes off his royal robes and puts on sackcloth. Over the past couple of weeks, some of you might have been following the Megxit saga in the UK. There, Harry and Megan are, are trying to step down from their royal positions. Well, that's what Nineveh's king is doing here. It's Megxit, Nineveh style. The king is submitting himself to the judgment of God. He's stepping down off his throne. And the people, all of them, are responding to Jonah's message. And they're doing it in an extraordinary way. The king and his nobles, they issue a decree. A bit of great leadership, I think. Let me read to you the decree. It says this. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I thought it was worth just highlighting three things that characterize this decree. Three things, sorrow, repentance and hope. You see in the way in which the people and the king of Nineveh appear to be sorry for who they are and the way they are. And so they respond to God's message that's delivered through Jonah by putting on sackcloth and by sitting down in the dust and they go into a period of fasting and they're worried and they're distressed about what will happen to them and to their nation. They believed God. They believed that destruction was coming. If you've been reading this story, I wonder if it kind of strikes you as unlikely. Really this happened? Well, let me just tell you a few other things that were going on in Nineveh at the time. History tells us that Nineveh was a city that had been struck by a number of different events that many might have considered part of the supernatural world. There were famines and drought and solar eclipses in the years prior. These were precursors to Jonah's visit. And not only that, don't forget that Jonah himself, he's a pretty powerful sign. Remember, he was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and then vomited onto a beach. The message that he has is clearly a message that God wants to be heard. And that makes this a challenge to Israel as a nation, but also to us today. If Nineveh listened to God, will we? Will we respond to God? If Jonah turned up here today, covered in fish guts, would most of us, would our first thought be, oh, here's He's just a nutter. Would we look for a mental health professional to kind of sort him out? But his message is, I think, applicable for us today. We encounter him in the words of the Bible, not in the physical person. But are we listening to God? Or are we first listening to the media and then to popular opinion and then to culture? 
Who are we listening to? Second thing I want you to see from this decree is the call to repentance. And I want you to see it there in verse 8. The decree includes these words, Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So we learn in chapter 1 that the violence of Nineveh and their wickedness, that is what had come up before God. And here we see the king issuing a call to repent from that, to change the way they are, to put away their violence and their evil ways. I think in many ways this is the central message of the book of Jonah. Repent, turn back to God, because he wants our hearts. He wants our obedience. He wants us to live for him and to behave for him. And if Nineveh can do it, surely we can too. And you know what? For us, the stakes are higher. Let me show you why the stakes are higher. Come with me to Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. You'll find it on page 1519. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, on page 1519. See, here in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is being challenged by some of the religious leaders of his day. And the religious leaders ask for a sign. Let me read to you from verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then listen to this. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that Jonah was received with repentance by the Ninevites. And he's saying he's like Jonah only... So Jesus is like Jonah, only Jesus is better. See, Jonah was under the water for three days. Jesus would be three days and three nights buried under the earth dead, but he would rise again. Jonah was a precursor. Jesus is the real deal. And just as Jonah's message demanded repentance, so much more does Jesus' message then demand that we turn to him. Some of you might be thinking through this for the first time today. You might have been hoping for a light-hearted tale about fish. Maybe you were hoping to hear a bit of my failed fishing attempts over the Christmas break. But Jonah, it's not so much about a fish as it is about repentance. See, God wants your heart. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants your attitudes. He wants your behaviour. He wants you to turn to him. Perhaps you've never done that before. Maybe you don't think you're good enough for God. Just remember who the Ninevites were, a violent people, evil in so many ways. That's who God wants to return to him. In Luke's Gospel, we read this great story about Jesus eating with those who would not normally be considered to be the polite in society. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders are of the day again they challenge Jesus about this and he says this is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You never turned to God before. Let me encourage you this morning. Take the message of Jonah seriously. God wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants your actions. He wants your behavior. Consider the example of Nineveh and turn to God. Perhaps you're sitting here though 20, 30, 50 years into your walk with Jesus. I think the message of repentance is just as critical for us today. See, we might not cut the arms and legs off our enemies. That's what the people of Nineveh used to do. But we probably still speak terribly about our enemies behind their backs. We probably do curse them in the privacy of our own homes. Nineveh was conditioned to violence. It was part of their lives. That might not be our condition today. But in the church today, I think we often are conditioned to think that we're pretty good, pretty much all right, that we're better than most others. And from that position, we can begin to trick ourselves thinking that we don't really need Jesus. Our tendency might not be to violence, but maybe it's to conceit. You might think, I don't hit my wife, but do you cherish her and love her as Christ loved the church? We might give to charity, we might give to church, but are we really generous? Or do we give just because we know that's the right thing to do? When when was the last time that you really examined your heart against the reality of God's word? When did you really say the words of the confession that we have up on the screen most weeks? When did you last say it with real meaning and conviction? See, when we read this little book of Jonah, we can't help but notice that Jonah needs to repent just as much as Nineveh. That Israel needs to repent just as much as Nineveh. That we need to repent. Surely that's the message of this book. I want you to remember as well that God is a God of second chances, a God of forgiveness and mercy. We'll see that more next week. God is a God of unexpected forgiveness and unexpected mercy. Jonah got a second chance. That's what our God is like. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want and then when we're done with the bad behavior, simply turn back to God. I don't want you to model your life on Jonah's life here. I really like what I read in a commentary by a guy called Jacques Elu. I've got it on the screen behind me. He says something like this, May Jonah's story be an aid for us in our own repentance and not a justification in our pride. See the difference? Jonah reminds us that God is a God of forgiveness. Don't take that for granted. Third thing I want you to see in this decree is just this tinge of hope coming through. Who knows, God, maybe God will relent. The 40 days are not yet over. And God does indeed relent. We see that in verse 10. He doesn't bring destruction on the city as threatened. Now be wondering what happens then to the city of Nineveh? What comes of their repentance? Or, or what does their repentance actually mean? In many ways, the kind of next few things that I say is in a sense an argument from silence. It's a little bit difficult to really know for sure what happens. What we can say is that they give up their evil ways and their violence, but at the same time, there's no mention here of them ridding themselves of idols, no call to worship the God of heaven and earth. 
So it's not really sure what happens to Nineveh. Some think that it's unlikely that Jonah's preaching led to a a covenantal relationship between the people of Nineveh and God. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the biblical text does not tell us that God sent Jonah with the purpose of converting the populace into a saving covenant relationship with him. He was warning them about their evil, violent behavior and the inevitable consequences if they did not change. Now, we know elsewhere from the Bible that behavior never leads to salvation that salvation is by faith through the atoning work of Jesus. Nonetheless, we do see here Jonah preaching of God's judgment and the result of that is a change in the way in which Nineveh behaves, at least for a period of time. They turned from their violent, evil ways. I wonder what you think our role as a church is as we speak into the world today about what God wants. What do you think the church's role is in speaking into our world about justice? What is our role about speaking to an end of violence and evil into our world? And the kind of life that God desires? Do you think we should do that from a perspective of God's wrath? So often today, social justice in our world, caring for others, is done without the gospel being presented. And here we see Jonah speaking of God's wrath and it leads to a change in behaviour. It's social justice brought about by preaching and teaching about the character of God and his coming judgement. Jonathan Edwards did a similar sort of thing. Sinners in the hands of an angry God was at least part of the great awakening and it was a call to repentance based on the judgement of God. You know, I think the very surprising message of Jonah chapter 3 is that the city of Nineveh listened to God's message. They responded just like those in the Great Awakening who heard the call of God. And so the message of Jonah chapter 3 for us today is that God wants us to turn back to him, to stop rejecting him, stop living in a way that disregards God, because God wants our hearts and our lives and our attitudes, and our behaviours. God wants all of us. We might need to repent. Remember, that's the one word that I think sums up this chapter, repent. Stop what you're doing and turn to God. Give him your heart. I'm going to give us a chance to do that now as we say together the words of the confession. They're going to come up on the screen. What I thought I'd do though is just give you a couple of moments in silence first and then we'll say together these words of confession. The band's going to come up and lead us through our next song which is called Mighty to Save and we're going to sing that together in response to our confession recognising that our God is a God who is mighty to save those of us who are sinners. Let me give you a couple of moments in quietness to reflect on your life. Just from the quietness of your seats, will you join with me as we pray together these words of the confession? Merciful God, our maker and our judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, 
and in what we have failed to do. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let me just read to you the chorus of the next song, Mighty to Save. It says, Saviour, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. Fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. We're going to sing that song together. Thanks, Peter. And thanks for sending through your questions. That's terrific and really helpful for me uh, to know how to respond to you as you ask questions. Uh, please uh, make use of the SMS line to do that. Uh, first, the first question uh, that I've got today uh, says something like, um, Jonah preached judgment. Should that be a, our approach as well? How do we have a balanced view of God's justice and God's grace? Great question, isn't it? How do we have a balanced view of God's justice and God's grace? The book of Jonah is a very balanced book, isn't it? If we read on in the next few verses in chapter 4, I don't want to steal too much of the thunder from next week, but if you read on in chapter 4 uh, towards the end of verse 2, this is what Jonah says of God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, the book of Jonah knows of God's grace and God's compassion. And we today know that as well. As a church, last year we were working our way through the book of Romans. Um, I just want to read to you from chapter 5 again. It's a verse that we've looked at a number of times as a church, but I think this really captures it for us today. It says this in verse 6 of chapter 5. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to see the grace and the compassion of God, you see it in him sending his own son to die for sinners. Jonah presents a balanced view of God. I think we've got to present a balanced view of God as we have discussions about what he's like as well. Although not necessarily all the time. Chapter 3 is about repentance. Chapter 4 is about the grace of God and Jonah's need for repentance, I think, as we read through the book of Jonah. Another question was, um, uh, let me actually bring it up, get it help a bit. In Jonah 3.5, they declared a fast and put on sackcloth. How does one repent today? Good question, isn't it? How do we repent today? You know, I reckon one of the great things we see in this story is the king getting up off his throne and sitting down in the ashes, in the dust. How do we repent today? I think in one sense, one of the ways in which we can repent is kind of taking that idea that we rule our own life, taking off that crown, those robes of our own desire over our own life and giving that over to God and saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You are my king. It's for you that I want to live. I think that'll then shape so much about how we live our lives. If we do that, I think it'll change everything about how we live. 
But I think that's probably a really great start as to how we repent, recognizing that we don't rule our lives, that Jesus is Lord of our life, and turning to him in that way. I hope that's helpful. Please come and see me if you've got more questions. I love answering questions. It's really helpful for me.